If you've got a Bible with you, go with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles that are there in the chair racks in front of you. You can follow along with us, and Genesis chapter 1 is at the very beginning, so if you just kind of work your way past the table of contents, you will land there. We're going to be spending most of our time at the end of Genesis 1 this morning, Before we get there, though, I would like to introduce you to a couple of the people who are on the screen behind me. Uh, Their names are Sally and Carl Emmel. I met Sally and Carl Emmel through a magazine article written by a woman by the name of Sarah Zhang. Sally is one of the few individuals in Denmark who has Down syndrome. Uh, For those of you who don't know what that is, Down syndrome, uh, those who have Down syndrome have an extra copy of chromosome number 21. And those individuals who have Down syndrome are often at risk later in life for a variety of health problems. They can have immune disorders, heart defects, they're at greater risk for Alzheimer's. They are an increasing rarity, though, in Denmark and in other countries that, have, that offer prenatal screenings for Down syndrome. There was a documentary produced in Denmark just a few years ago called Death to Downs, in which the stated goal of that uh, documentary and the stated goal of the, of the government in, Den- in Denmark was to eradicate Down syndrome by the year 2030, which is only some eight years away. And We might think of that as a noble goal that they're throwing all kinds of money into research for how to to fix this chromosome issue or whatever whatever treatment that might be given to reduce some of the side effects of Down syndrome, but their goals are not that noble. The goal when when you watch the documentary is stated in terms of, not in terms of, of curing Down syndrome, but aborting all children who are diagnosed as potentially having Down syndrome. Statistically speaking, and it's hard to measure these sorts of things, but there are 1,355 children in Denmark between the years 2004 to 2014 who, who were flagged positive as with the potential of being born with Down's syndrome. And of those 1,355 children, exactly 37 of them, were born. That's under 3%. Unless we get on our high horse and think that this is something that's happening in Europe or something that's happening in Denmark, roughly 70% of those prenatally screened with, uh, for Downs in the United States are aborted before they ever see the light of day. Sarah Zhang says in her article that as prenatal screenings for Downs became common in the 1980s, a new power was thrust into the hands of ordinary people. The power to decide what kind of life is worth bringing into the world. But this is a difficult question to answer. Does Down syndrome make Carl Emmel's life not worth living? This is a young man who writes poetry. 
listens to music, has friends, knows about the documentary and the goal for 2030, the desire that nobody like him exists. And who gets to make these kinds of decisions? Who gets to decide whose life has value, and on what basis might we make those decisions? Is our value rooted only in our capabilities? Is our value rooted only in what we can produce in society? Is our value directly related to our independence from the care of others? In other, in other words, as, as, our, as our dependence and other, people's, other people grow, does our value decrease? Is our value related to how much we present a drain on society and on its resources? These questions are difficult to answer if human beings are nothing more than the random products of chance and time. If every single one of us has just accidentally been spit out by an impersonal, uncaring void, then these questions are difficult to answer indeed. But what if human beings have an inherent, fundamental value? These questions are answered in the events of the sixth day of creation week. Three weeks ago, which seems like so long ago, we walked through these these first six days of the creation week, and I said, you might remember if you were here with us, that that human beings are presented in many respects as the pinnacle of the creation week. We can see that for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, One is the way that the whole creation narrative, the whole creation story builds towards human beings and their existence and their creation. Another way we can see it is in the amount of space that's devoted to the creation of human beings. They are regarded by God... We are regarded by God as unique in all of creation. So what I'd like to do this morning is read this passage of Scripture about the creation of human beings on the sixth day. I'd like to read this so we can load it into our minds a little bit, and then I want to to answer some questions about it. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, if you're there. The Word of God says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
I believe the Bible teaches the following statement about human beings that we find begun right here in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, and we see it unfold throughout the rest of the storyline of Scripture. I believe the Bible teaches this truth about human beings, every human has value because every human is made in God's image. Every single human has value because every single human has been made in God's image. I've mentioned in past sermons about about the book of Genesis that that the the book contains a, a, a theological foundation which if we were to remove some of these core doctrines that are introduced here in the very beginning, if we were to just completely remove the book of Genesis from the Bible, we would shake the Christian faith at the core of its foundations. And the image of God in humans is an absolutely foundational concept to the Christian faith. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? you were to be asked, define what it means to be made in the image of God, that concept can be a little bit slippery. It can be something that one of those things that we think we all understand, but as we try to articulate an answer, it becomes a little bit more difficult than we think. The image of God has been defined in various ways. People have related it to our rational capacities, the fact that we can think, the fact that we can reason. It has been defined according to our volitional capabilities, that we have wills, that we have desires, that we can choose one thing or we can choose another thing, that we do not run purely on instinct alone. The image of God has been described as our spiritual capabilities, that that we have had God's breath breathed into us and that we are living souls. There is a a a beautiful connection of material and immaterial in us. It's been defined as our creative capabilities, the fact that we can build things, that we can imagine things, that we can make plans, that we can create works of art. It has been defined as our moral capacities, that we have the ability to know right from wrong and to know that One action that we are take is morally reprehensible, while another action we could take is morally valuable. The image of God has been described in all sorts of ways and all sorts of capacities like those. And I believe there are elements of truth in all of that. But when you step back and think about it, angels have most or all of those capacities. And the Bible says nothing about them being made in God's image which means we need to think perhaps a little bit more deeply about what actually it means to be made in the image of God. I think it's related to something else. But before we get there, I'd like to look at some of what we've read this morning in the Bible, which will hopefully lead us there. So we're asking the question this morning, what does it mean to be made in God's image? What does it mean for you and me and everyone else to be made in the image of God? And I think our text suggests that the answer to this question is related to two concepts. The first concept is the, the very nature of human beings. 
the nature of human beings. And our text says two things about the nature of human beings. And this isn't meant to be an exhaustive statement about the nature of human beings, but there are two particular things that are here in our text that I want to call out your attention to this morning. The first element of the nature of human beings that's, that's made clear to us is this. Humans are created beings. Humans are created beings. This is a point that the book of Genesis goes out of its way to highlight for you. Your Bible came hot off the presses. It probably didn't have any highlights or marks in it, but one of the things that the Bible does for us is that it, it highlights without using a highlighter. It tells us what's important without necessarily always using a highlighter to tell us what's important. And one of the ways the Bible does that is it repeats things several times to make sure we get it. And the Bible does that here in verses 26 and 27 because the Bible goes out of its way to repeat to us that we have been created. Verse 1 says that we've been made, or verse 26 says that we've been made, and then verse 27 says three times, almost creating like a redundancy, like we get it, that we have been created which means that your value, my value, is directly derived from the fact that God made us. You and I are not the random products of time and chance. Because we are created beings, we reflect intentionality. We reflect purpose. And I want you to notice something interesting here about, about the, the special creation of human beings in our text because there are, there are patterns that we see throughout this creation week, words and phrases that are repeated. We, they, almost give us, they almost give us a rhythm that we become accustomed to. One of the things that we see is when God creates things throughout the days of the week, he, the, the Bible says that He says, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. And we, we, we get used to, as we work through the days, we get used to that, that rhythm of let there be, and there was, there, and variations of that. But notice that the language changes when it comes to talking about human beings. And the language change is not just, eh, let's change it up a little bit. The language change is meant to break the pattern, to signal to us, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what's being highlighted for me here. Because when it comes to the creation of human beings, God no longer says, let there be. The Bible says that God says, let us make man in our image. In other words, the creation of humanity becomes a very personal thing for God. Let us make man in our image. You'll notice that there are plural pronouns used here, let us make man in our image. This is a feature of the Hebrew language to get really nerdy for just a second with you, uh, called the majestic plural, or the plural of majesty. It's not just a feature of ancient Hebrew, but of other ancient languages. It's meant to heighten a sense of, of, of dignity or worth about the person that's being talked about. It's not necessarily a direct teaching of the Trinity, okay, but we know that the seeds of the Trinity are sown here in Genesis 
chapter 1 in seed form that are developed throughout the rest of Scripture because even in, even in the opening verse, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. We see God, we see the Lord, Yahweh, acting. New Testament tells us that, that, that Jesus is the agent of creation. It was through whom that the world was created. So all those things are found here in, in seed form. The point, though is that special attention is given here in our text to highlight that we are created beings. And I'm, I'm, I'm underlining this point and I'm pounding this point because I believe there are consequences for failing to grasp that. And I believe that we tell people today, we send people today a mixed message when we tell them, you are wonderful, you can do anything you put your mind to, You can accomplish whatever you want, but you are a total accident. You tell people their whole lives that they are a a complete accident, that the universe just happened to spit out, and eventually they're going to start believing you. You have very little value if you are a blip in an impersonal universe that happened to spit you out one day with no purpose and no meaning, going nowhere to no end. The Bible suggests that human beings are much more. We have been created with intentionality and purpose that is reflective of our Creator. We're talking about the nature of human beings here. We've seen in our text that humans are, in the first place, created beings. But I want us to see, secondly, that humans are gendered beings. Humans are gendered beings. We are created male and female in God's image. In other words, our masculinity and our femininity is directly connected to the fact that we have been made in God's image. And this is important for a whole host of things, but I want to highlight two of them to you this morning. The fact that that we are created male and female and that that our respective genders are directly connected to the fact that we have been intentionally made that way in God's image, that's important, first of all, for the proper valuing of both genders and particularly women. I'll say it again, it's important for the proper valuing of both genders and particularly women. I say particularly women not to elevate them above men, but to account for the fact that throughout history, women have often been treated as less than full image bearers. They have been ignored used, dominated, undervalued, trafficked, uneducated, and denied rights such as voting. But the Bible is clear from the very first page on why women have value. Their value is rooted most fundamentally in the fact that they are full bearers of the image of God in equal part with men. 
I don't know how we missed it. It's on the first page. Sometimes you can be forgiven for reading the book at the beginning and then getting bored and skipping to the end and finding out how it ends, but it's on the first page. The very beginning, God's design was for men and women to work in harmony with each other to reflect God's image and likeness equally. That's one reason why this is important. Secondly, it is important to us for a proper understanding of gender. We live in a day when gender is commonly understood to be fluid. We live in a day when gender is subjective, when gender can be chosen, when gender can be subject to change. We live in a day when something called transgenderism is also common, where a person lives in the gender or genders that feel right to them rather than the gender that was assigned, to use a common word, to them at birth. I recognize that what I am saying this morning is is not only out of step with our culture's teaching, but is morally reprehensible to what our culture tells us. So I do not say it lightly. But the Bible teaches a binary concept of gender, male and female. This is not to say that there are not genetic and physical exceptions to that, because there most certainly are. Nor is it to say that there are not people who genuinely feel like they are a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body. There are likely people here who are working through their gender identity. And we do them no good when we are dismissive with them, when we belittle them, when we make that to be an object of scorn. It should not be so among us. But the Bible tells us that from the very beginning, that gender is not a social construct. It is not an elastic category. It is a creation category that is directly tied to the fact that we have been created in God's image. And this is why gender identity matters to us. When someone asks the question, what do you care? The reason we care is because it's directly tied to this foundational concept of who and what we've been created to be. But this is also why all people are valuable to God, even if they reject creation categories for themselves. We must recognize that we too often, whether subtly or overtly, dehumanize them because they reject those creation categories. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, it has something to do with the nature of human beings, that we are created beings, that we are gendered beings. 
But there's a second concept that it's related to, and that second concept is the nature of human purpose. The nature of human purpose. Human beings have a unique purpose on earth that separates us from every other created thing. Now, we don't have time to to talk a lot about this today. I'm hoping we can talk about it in the weeks to come. But if we were to ask the question just of this chapter of Genesis without taking into account everything that the Bible says, but if we were to ask the question just what this chapter has to say about what on earth we're here for, it would yield us a couple of answers that are related to the nature of human purpose. The first is that humans are to fill the earth. Humans are to fill the earth. That's what it says in verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. You notice as you're reading through the creation account that God creates living things with the ability to propagate after their kind. So we see this in the, the, the plant world, the world of vegetation. There, every, every plant, every piece of vegetation produces seeds that are able to propagate more plants that look like that. We see in the, in the animal world that, that the animals are able to propagate after their kind. So the, so the ability to propagate is not necessarily unique in and of itself. But God's image bearers are to do so with a level of intentionality that is not given to the rest of the creation. In other words, God wants the whole earth to be filled with His image bearers in a way that He doesn't necessarily mandate that He wants the whole earth to be filled with maple trees or cheetahs, or to put it in terms that we've talked about in the past few weeks, quakas. As wonderful as it would be to have the whole earth filled with quakas, it's not going to make any sense to you if you haven't heard that sermon, so just, just skip it. Don't worry about it. Look up quakas later. They're cute but evil. <clears throat> so human beings are given the responsibility to, in the first place, fill the earth. Secondly, human beings are given the responsibility to subdue the earth. Our text says that we are to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Now, we keep touching on concepts, and I have to keep saying, hey, we'll talk about this, more about this later because this is a whole thing in and of itself. Okay, so that's a, put, a little, uh, put a little bookmark on that thing as well. We're going to talk about it more later. But subduing and have domin- having dominion is not the idea of pillaging the earth, Subduing and having dominion carries ideas of harnessing and cultivating the earth. It carries with it the ideas that we have been given the responsibility to understand that we are human beings bearing God's image, created in a world that God has made in which we are to act responsibly and respectfully for the world that God has given to us. So we are to... We are to subdue, we are to have dominion, we are to be able to, to, be able to harness and control and all sorts of, of beautiful things that God has given us to do, which I can feel myself starting to get pulled in that direction and I'm not, I'm not going to go there. The, we're talking about the nature of human purpose, that human beings are to, 
fill the earth and that they are to subdue the earth. Okay, so what we've done, just to review for you, is we've, we're asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And I said I want to put two concepts on the table that help us understand that. The first concept is the nature of human beings. And we talked about the fact that the, that the text says we are created, we are gendered. Then we wanted to talk about the second concept, which was the nature of human purpose. We're to fill the earth and subdue the earth, okay? What I've tried to do is just set all that stuff on the table. Now, I'm going to try to tie a bow around it so we can answer the question that we began with. The first way that I want to go about doing that is I want to point out that the idea of someone being made in the image of God is not unique to the Bible. There, are, there would have been other cultures around that would have had some familiarity with the concept of someone being in the image of God. So the idea that, that a person could be in the image of God is not a unique concept to the Bible. What's unique is what the Bible does with it. You see, in the surrounding cultures... There was a concept of a person being made in the image of God, but it was one person. That one person was the ruler. That one person was the monarch. That one person is is the person that is God's representative on earth to the people. So we sometimes wonder, where where does this idea of worshiping kings or worshiping monarchs, worshiping rulers, where did that come from? Well, in ancient times, the the king or the monarch or the ruler, whoever it was, was seen as the image of that particular god. That was the representation of the rule of that god through that person on earth. You can already see in talking about that how the Bible transforms that idea, how it corrects that idea. You see, what we have here in the opening chapter of Genesis is what an Old Testament scholar by the name of Gordon Wenham refers to as the democratization of the image of God. The Bible does not teach that there is one ruler, one tyrant, one despot who is the the representative of God on earth. The Bible tells us that every single human being without exception is in God's image and represents him on earth. Do you see how drastic of a shift that is? It affords a value and dignity not to one or to a few, but to all without exception. That's remarkable. Secondly, as we're trying to tie some of these ideas together, These ideas lead us to a fuller understanding of what it means then to be made in God's image. Rather than being in the image of God, being related to some sort of capacity or capability that we have, being made in God's image is tied more to our responsibility. God has set up this earth with millions of, his image bearers who have the responsibility to represent his rule on earth. 
So think about this a little bit. God creates in a particular way. The Bible tells us that the earth is formless and void. We're asking ourselves the question, okay, that's interesting. What is God going to do with a place that's without form and empty? And the Bible goes on to say that God forms those spaces and then fills those spaces. And then God creates people in his image and basically tells us in creaturely ways, not godly ways, to go and do the same. That's what the language is. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Take this place that I have put you in and exercise dominion over it. Cultivate it. Harness it. Send people to the moon. Do all kinds of things in it. Again, not as God has done them, because we're not gods, but as people made in His image. Now we're going to see, spoiler alert, there's a roadblock. Uh, We haven't got to chapter 3 yet. But in chapter 3, God's image bearers say, eh, I think we're going to do it a di- we're going to go a different route. And the image of God in human beings becomes broken. But that's an important term that I'm using. The image of God becomes broken. The image of God does not become lost. We are all in in in, in broken ways, still reflecting the image of our Creator. What's important for us to remember now, though, is that all human beings have value because we are God's representatives. We were created to be God's representatives on earth, reflecting His image and likeness with a responsibility to go into the earth and form it and fill it harness it, and subdue it. I think that's what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. So having said that, let me give you a couple of applications based on what we've talked about this morning. And these are relatively simple, as most of the applications I give. But don't let their simplicity rob them of how profound they are. Number one, all human beings are valuable to God. All human beings are valuable to God. Let me phrase that in a way that personalizes it. You are valuable to God. And you are valuable to God not because of what you are able to produce, not simply because of your rational capabilities or their lack thereof, your emotional capabilities or your lack thereof, you are valuable to God, every single one of you, because he created you with intentionality in his image and likeness. So no matter what you can do or can't do, those things don't impact your value. And that's important for us to remember because we like to think of ourselves as producers 
people who add value. You can have your ability to be a producer. You can have your ability to add value taken away from you in a moment. If your value is tied simply to what you can do, that's a precipice you are always dangling off of. Your value is rooted in not in what you can do, but in the fact that you bear God's image. It also means that you matter to God, that you're valuable to God, regardless of what other people have said about you. There are people in this room, people in our church who have experienced deep hurt by the people closest to them, making them, spending their lives telling them that they're nothing, either directly or indirectly. And that's when we need to step back and say, I I don't know what your father has said about you. I don't know what your mother has said about you. But what you need to believe in this moment is what God says about you. You may not be valuable to your husband anymore. But you are valuable to God as being made in his image. And even though God's image in us has been broken God is committed to seeing that image restored. I want to read a passage of Scripture for you that I hope opens up a new meaning to it based on the other passage of Scripture that we've talked about from Genesis 1 this morning. I hope you read this passage of Scripture forever in a new light. It's found in Philippians 2. It's a a passage of Scripture that's familiar to many of us. Let me read it to you. This is referring to Jesus. It says, Who, referring to Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see a word in those verses that is shared in Genesis? That word that's shared in Philippians 2 and Genesis 1 is the word likeness. And I want you to pause and think about something incredible here. The biblical storyline is that our Creator God creates humanity, male and female, in His own image and likeness. We find that God's image and likeness in us is damaged due to sin. We are corrupted. We no longer do what God has called us to do. We no longer reflect God's glory perfectly the way that we should. And so the Bible tells us that God goes to such great lengths to restore His image in us that having made us in His likeness and having that likeness broken, He then sends His Son, Jesus, to be made in the likeness of man so that the likeness of God could be restored. That is how serious God is about seeing His image restored in His people. It's going to happen. So, I'll say to somebody 
here who may not be a Christian, who may be struggling with a whole host of issues that have been brought up by the message today. We recognize as Christians that we're broken people because of our own sin and because sin that has been committed against us. The truth of the matter is, none of us reflect God's image the way we should, the way we were created. But Jesus was born in the humility of a human being like me and you so that his image could be restored in us. And you can experience forgiveness and reconciliation and the restoration of that image if you will repent of your sins and turn in faith to Christ. So the first application is that all humans are valuable to God. The second is built off of it. If all human beings are valuable to God, then all human beings ought to be valuable to us. We are image bearers. We are made in his image. We should value other image bearers as he does. So let me ask you a series of questions related to this. Men, do you value women the way God does? You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, please don't. Women, do you value men the way God does? If we don't have this mutual understanding of each other, that we have been created male and female so that together we reflect God's image and likeness in his creation, if we don't have this right, we will tend towards either despising each other or using each other. Despising each other will show itself in various forms of misogyny on one hand. I said in the first service, whatever the opposite of that is, and apparently that word is misandry, which I did not know, so I learned something today between the services. Misogyny and its opposite. And I would say there is no clearer nor more pervasive example of our using each other than the prevalence of pornography. where those people we view are no longer dignified and valued. They are consumed and discarded for our own gratification. If we don't get this right, we tend towards either despising each other or using each other. And brothers and sisters, it should not be so. Further, do we value people who look different than us, whatever us is. Do our collection of internal prejudices, and if you're stopping and saying, whoa, whoa, I don't have internal prejudices, you've got some revelatory moments coming in your life. Do our collection of internal prejudices serve to devalue people who may be other ethnicities but are equal sharers in God's image. 
Another question. Do we afford dignity to people who have drastically different understandings of gender than we do? Strong faith will not lead us in arguing for a biblical position. A strong faith will not lead us to demonizing or dehumanizing those who disagree. Even those who reflect creation categories are still bearers of God's image and valuable to him. Are they an object of scorn to us? Are they the enemy? Brothers and sisters, it should not be so. And what about Sally and Carl Emmel? Does the existence of an extra chromosome make them disposable? Does an elderly person who can no longer remember his wife's name make him worthy of being euthanized? Of all people in the world, Christians should be the most staunch activists for life. The unborn, the oppressed, the elderly, the ill, because we, of all people, have a theological foundation of the value of every single one of those people, whether they can remember their name or not. They matter to God because they were made in His image and they bear His likeness. And who are we to look at them and say, but not enough as I do? One of the beautiful things about Genesis 1 is that God's image has not been reserved for the select one or the select few. Every single one of us bears it. And because every single one of us bears it, we can rejoice this morning. But that alone makes us valuable to Him. And that He would send His Son so that the image could be restored. Let's thank him for that today. Lord, we thank you for your word, which gives us a firm foundation in when all around us is shifting sand. We thank you that what some would see as an ancient and primitive book lies so many answers to our modern conundrums. We thank you for the firm foundation it lays for us and the fundamental dignity and value of all human beings without exception. Lord, let this not be something that we simply affirm with our lips, but as your people who are having the image of God restored, let us look at others with the same dignity. Let us afford them the same dignity in our hearts. And Lord, we want to thank you that Jesus would be born in the likeness of humans like us so that we could be forgiven, 
reconciled, restored. We pray these things in Jesus' name.